0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keenom, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, late in the afternoon, California time, uh, probably August 24th, uh, much of the rest of the world. Uh, Yesterday... Speaking of the world and global travelers, uh, Robert Kaplan, one of the great travelers of our age, came on the show to talk about his book, The Loom of Time. It's mostly about what he calls the greater Middle East, but we touched on his take on Africa. He wrote in 1994 a very influential piece called The Coming Anarchy, and he followed up with that uh, this year with a piece uh, in the New Statesman called Anarchy Unbound, the new scramble for Africa. The old scramble, of course, was conventional colonialism. We've covered that uh, with one Stanford historian, J.P. Dawson, who wrote an important book about French colonization uh, of Central Africa in the 19th and 20th century called in the forest of no joy but there's a different kind of colonialism in the 20th and 21st century one that we discussed with anjan sundaram a very uh distinguished war correspondent who spent a lot of time in africa and also with roger ballon the uh particularly distinguished photographer south african photographer on the colonialization of wildlife and the ecosystems of Africa. And today we're continuing in that theme, a new kind of colonialism. Uh, Siddharth Kara has a really important new book out called Cobalt Red. It's a book about, I'm not sure if we would call it colonialism, but our new R, meaning the Western new relationship with Africa, which in many ways, I guess, is not that different from the old relationship. Siddharth is joining us from uh, Los Angeles, where he divides his time. Uh, Siddharth, uh, is is my introduction fair? Is your book really the, the second chapter or the third or the fourth chapter in the same book on Western colonization and exploitation and appropriation of African wealth?
1: I, I think that's a fair assessment, Andrew. Um, whether we call it chapter two, three, four, or five. Um, It is the latest chapter in a long story of uh, colonial pillage and plunder of the resources and labor uh, of the African continent by the global north uh, going back uh, since the Portuguese first uh, ventured south uh, uh, back in the early 1400s. And it's been sort of one wave of colonizers and imperialists, after another, uh, coming down for the resources. And of course, uh, uh, enslaving the continent and its people for hundreds of years during the Atlantic slave trade, and then, uh, colonizing Africa for the better part of a century up until the independence movement of the 1960s. There's
0: a new twist to it, a very uncomfortable twist, I think for many of us, because the cobalt that you write about, um, that you call cobalt red, the blood of the Congo power, the 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 bl- how the blood of the Congo powers our lives, is a narrative of how cobalt powers our cell phones and our electronic uh, vehicles. Uh, your 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 pinned tweet is a reference to CES, the uh, Consumer Electronics Show 2023, uh, a reminder that. For all our uh, feel-good EV uh, celebrations, much of this comes quite literally off the backs of uh, African miners. Uh, Talk more about this new kind of relationship, Siddharth. Well,
1: you, me, and probably every single person listening to us cannot function for 24 hours without cobalt. Uh, cobalt is an essential component to almost every lithium-ion rechargeable battery used in the world today. So that means every smartphone, tablet, laptop, uh, rechargeable device, and, and crucially and increasingly uh, most every electric vehicle. Uh, and so that gets to uh, an essential injustice that's taking place, which is the our rechargeable lives, and in particular, this transition Uh, from internal combustion engines to uh, electric vehicles in pursuit of very important climate sustainability goals, is being built on the backs of an enormous human rights and environmental catastrophe in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Now, I say that because last year, almost three-fourths of the world's supply of cobalt came from the Congo. So, uh, all these devices and cars have Congolese cobalt in them. And if you see that pinned tweet, you can see some of the conditions under which cobalt is mined. It's like dialing the moral clock back centuries to colonial times where you have uh, the violent, brute exploitation of the labor and resources of African people at the bottom of global supply chains. The That's the part that's the same or similar to the colonial period. What's different is... This entire economic chain is now adorned in these proclamations that the supply chain is clean, that the participants in it, their human rights are protected, that mining is done sustainably. All the consumer-facing tech and EV companies uh, make these claims, uh, but they're completely inconsistent with the reality on the ground. And that's the story uh, that's told by the Congolese people through the pages of Cobalt Red.
0: Yeah, I mean, when one thinks about it, you, you didn't know the context. You would assume that Congo would be one of the most powerful countries in the world, uh, quite literally uh, 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 a Wakanda. It has all the, the resources we need. So so why uh, Siddharth isn't it? Is this just a continuation of, of foreign owners of the mines or of wealthy uh, Congolese uh, entrepreneurs or landowners exploiting their own people.
1: It's it's funny you mentioned Wakanda because uh, I, I can remember uh, sitting in the town of Kolwezi and Kolwezi is ground zero for cobalt mining uh, in the DR Congo. Uh, probably one fourth of the world's cobalt reserves are sitting under the dirt uh, uh, of Kolwezi, and I can remember sitting there and I had this moment where I thought Congo is Wakanda without the force shield. That camouflages the place.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Because uh, what that force shield did is it prevented the outside world from seeing that there was this great treasure uh, in in uranium. Uh, In in the case of the Congo, it's a a long list of of resources going back to ivory and rubber, uh, and then nickel and copper, copper, especially during the industrial period. uh, Gold, diamonds, uh, and now crucially cobalt, and so the eyes of the world can see that the that the treasure is sitting there in the dirt. And the reason Congo isn't uh, a a wealthy, stable country has a lot to do with the foreign influence. So, uh, the minute the Portuguese arrived, uh, they set up a slave trading station at Luango Bay, which is near the mouth of the Congo River. And for the next three and a half centuries, one fourth. Of the 12 and a half million people taken from Africa across the Atlantic and sold into slavery, departed from Luango Bay. So, already there, you have the utter destruction of the population, the people there, complete destabilization uh, of the the native population there. Then Leopold comes in, uh, takes it over as a personal colony, and unleashes this uh, terror squad called the Force Publique to force people under the threat of amputation and murder and terror uh, to extract rubber
0: from... And this was, of course, the, the Belgian, king, uh, this was Ad- the Belgian Ad- king, Adam Hothchild, who's an yes. old friend of mine. He lives over in Berkeley. He's been on the show. He wrote a magnificent book about it.
1: That's right. Yes. Uh, Adam's a dear friend of mine as well. Uh, and he was kind enough to put a quote on the cover of uh, Cobalt Red. Uh, uh, this is King Leopold of the Belgians. And uh, the, the tragedy is that scramble for rubber that Uh, was a genocidal ransacking of the Congo was for the first automobile revolution. Mm. Leopold Leopold got his hands on the Congo in 1885, same year that Carl Benz invented the internal combustion engine. Uh, It had steel-clad wheels that could only go so fast before they fell apart. And then Dunlop in 1888 invented the rubber tire. And so then the scramble was on for rubber and Congo happened to be sitting on one of the largest rubber tree forests in the world. Uh now skip ahead to the present day, and we're going through this new automobile revolution, the transition from internal combustion engines to electric vehicles. And then who happens to be sitting on uh, uh, the lion's share of the global supply of the crucial metal required? Once again, it's Congo. And once again, there's, the scramble is on. And now it's not uh, king of Belgium this time. It's uh, consumer-facing tech and EV companies. uh, uh creating this enormous demand-side pressure to get cobalt out of the ground as quickly as possible and feed it up the chain. So you, so Congo never had a chance at stability, even at independence.
0: But why, um, and I'm not claiming, and we talked about this with uh, uh, with Robert Kaplan yesterday uh, in Saudi Arabia, why hasn't Congo become, for better or worse, Saudi Arabia, which would certainly be better than its current arrangement, uh, where... Because originally in the late 19th, early 20th century, Western powers went into the, the Gulf and essentially stole the oil. But um, the, the peoples of the region fought that one way or the other. and At least they own their own oil, even if the societies aren't exactly um, enlightened. Um, why didn't that happen in, in, in Congo? Who owns the land and these mines? So the land is leased
1: primarily to Chinese state-run mining companies. Um, And they pay no heed to the human rights or environmental sustainability of mining practices in the Congo. You you get down there on the ground and millions of trees have been clear cut. Uh, And no one I ever met could tell me they saw someone planting a tree to replace them. Millions of trees clear cut to to make space for these giant mining concessions. Concessions means the territory that a mining company is allowed to rip apart for cobalt and copper and other metals. Uh, and when I say large concessions, the largest copper-cobalt concession in the Congo is the size of London. So you have to imagine a London-sized swath of countryside that's been completely ripped apart and gouged apart, and all the people who were living there forcibly displaced uh, and now un- unable to survive. And what, the,
0: what is the, the local association with these Chinese, I don't know whether you would call them colonialists or investors or a mix of the two?
1: Well, I think that the, the Chinese state-run mining companies are operating in a neocolonial fashion. Um, they're taking their turn at ransacking Africa. And, and if you look across Africa, the way they've done it is with these uh, infrastructure and and and, and loan for resource deals. So they go to African countries, they say, well, we'll give you some loans, we'll build a port, we'll bu- build your wireless networks, we'll build some highways, uh, and so on. And in exchange, we want access to resources. And in the case of Congo, it's it's copper and cobalt because they saw the future before anyone else did, was rechargeable batteries and they would all need cobalt and all the cobalt was in the Congo. So back in 2009, the Chinese government signed their first deal. Um, Uh, a $6 billion loan deal in exchange for access to several large copper cobalt mines. And that was signed under the previous administration of Joseph Kabila. And that gets back to your point of, well, why isn't the Congo a rich, prosperous, stable place? And it has to do a lot with poor governance after independence. Uh, A lot of corruption, uh, a lot of instability, uh, a lot of signing deals And and kleptocrats pocketing money and looking the other way while foreign powers, in this case, Chinese money companies, come in and just rip the place apart, take the resources uh, and scramble them out as quickly as possible.
0: Another of the uh, actually last year, the Financial Times best business book of the year, you've been shortlisted or been longlisted. I'm sure you're going to be shortlisted. I hope you are uh, for the 2023 award was Chris Miller's Chip War which suggests that the real power in the world economy lies in chips and, of course, touches on the increasing Cold War, cold economic war, at least, between the West and China over computer chips. Biden is increasingly paranoid, like many Americans, about Chinese economic power. Given this arrangement, Siddharth, could the Chinese essentially appropriate all the cobalt in the world? Why do they let it onto the global markets if it's such a valuable resource? Well, they've essentially appropriated the global supply
1: of cobalt. Um, So let's look at the chain. Okay, Uh, Congo supplied about three-fourths of the world's uh, cobalt supply last year. China controls about 80% of that. It's China plus Glencore that control uh, cobalt production in the Congo. Uh, So China controls about 80% of the cobalt coming out of the ground in the Congo. And the mining companies are all vertically integrated. So most of that cobalt in its raw form is then exported to mainland China for commercial-grade processing. China supplied about 80% of the world's supply of uh, commercial-grade refined cobalt last year. And then that refined cobalt is what goes into the batteries. And Chinese companies made about half of the world's rechargeable batteries last year, including for all the big tech and EV companies. So they've essentially vertically integrated most of that supply chain, and they did it before the West knew what was happening. And so now you see this slight panic and scramble uh, with the EU and the United States stopping and saying, wait a minute, uh, here we are passing EV mandates uh, and we need rechargeable gadgets uh, for our consumers, but we have no touch on the supply chain. It's all going through China. And so that's a geopolitical risk. It's an economic risk. And so now they're scrambling to figure out how do they create supply chains that may bypass China, but they're late to the game because there's not a single American mining company on the ground uh, in in the Congo. And you saw the Biden administration um, five or six months ago sign an MOU with the governments of the Congo and Zambia to try to promote alternate battery metal supply chains, but it can't be done until they have presence on the ground. Once the cobalt's out of the ground or the copper and it's on its way to China, the, the supply chain uh, is under the control of China. And that's that's a major political risk. It's an it's, it's a economic risk and cobalt by the way is also used in a lot of defense systems um it's a used it's a super alloy in jet engines for fighter jets as well as commercial jets yeah, so, for
0: people watching here we have an image of cobalt it doesn't look very valuable but it really is it goes for
1: tens of thousands of dollars uh uh per uh per, uh, per ton on the um uh london metal exchange uh it's it's uh, and that's part of why um, there's this scramble to control it because it's a limited resource. There's more cobalt in the dirt in the southeastern corner of the Congo than the rest of the planet combined.
0: It's astonishing. I, I mean, as you say, it's it's the reverse of Wakanda. We are speaking with um, Siddharth Kara, the author of Cobalt Red, How the Blood of the Congo Powers Our Lives, a very troubling a book about the nature, the neo-colonial nature of our 21st century economy. We're going to take a, a short break, uh, Siddharth. After, I want to talk more about your own personal involvement in this story, how you went to Congo. Uh, but I also want to thank uh, our sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics, who are supporting Keenon, uh, important new periodical published four times a year going to run a short video and then we'll be back with Siddharth Kara to talk more about his enormously important and troubling book uh, Cobalt Red so don't leave us anyone Beyond the news the noise there is nuance insight liberties it's not just a journal of ideas it's a meteor of intelligent substance it's the place to be for engaged citizens politics opinion substance liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought a quarterly of urgency of cultural exploration of intellectual delight of immaculate prose it's invaluable subscribe now or find liberties at your favorite bookseller and you can check out more at libertiesquarterly.com to subscribe uh, to this important new periodical Uh, we are speaking with Siddharth Kara the author of Cobalt Red Uh, Siddharth you're already well known you've published a number of books on modern slavery on labor on sex trafficking um tell me a little bit about how you ended up writing this book
1: well uh as you mentioned i've been doing research on modern day slavery and child labor for many years going back to the year 2000 and uh, i can remember very vividly it was in about 2016 a few colleagues in the field uh came to me and said siddharth um There's something really awful taking place with cobalt mining in the Congo, and it's in the batteries, and you need to go uh, check it out. And I had no idea what they were talking about. I thought cobalt was a color. I I didn't know anything about it beyond that, uh, let alone that it was a vital uh, metal used in rechargeable batteries. So it took me a couple of years to uh, plan that first trip and establish ground relationships so I could get into the Congo and do research safely uh, and, and effectively, And I took that first trip in the summer of 2018. So now bear in mind, at that point, I'm 18 years into documenting slavery and child labor on the ground in dozens of countries around the world. Uh, Some of the most horrific manifestations of modern day slavery. And I was completely unprepared for what I saw. The severity and the scale of the human degradation taking place in the Congo uh, was uh, uh, like a thunderclap. Uh, It just left me utterly shell-shocked because I could say with confidence then, and I say it today, that never in the history of slavery or colonial pillage has there ever been more degradation and suffering of people taking place at the bottom of a supply chain that generated more profit at the top and touched the lives of more people around the world than is taking place right now with cobalt mining in the Congo. You have people barely making a dollar a day, scrounging at the ground to get toxic cobalt out of the dirt and up the chain uh, in extremely hazardous conditions, being slowly poisoned to death every day, suffering shattered spines and legs and pit wall collapses, children being buried alive in tunnel collapses, all for a dollar, all for two dollars, all to feed cobalt up the chain so that you and I can plug in our phones and the battery will last as long as possible, or we can buy an electric vehicle and think we're making a good decision for the planet when it's all built on the destruction and violence and ruin of the people and the environment in the heart of Africa.
0: Why is this such an underrepresented story? The people there don't count. They don't Sundaran. count. I don't know. Do you know the work of Anjan Sundaran? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and he had a similar take on, on the wars of Central and West Africa, suggesting that people have simply lost interest in them. They, they don't count.
1: They, they're not, and this is why it's still colonial era, uh, a, a, a colonial era economy, a colonial era moral regime. Those people in the heart of Africa don't count. Their lives don't count. Their dignity doesn't count. Their resources are ours to take in whatever way and means we want. And that's the same mode of thinking, the same relationship that the global north has had with Africa for centuries. So those people there have been crying out into an abyss of their misery at the bottom of our rechargeable lives for years, and no one was listening. And even to this day, not enough people are listening. And so the, the purpose of Cobalt Red is to say, you can't run a global economy and transform the utter degradation uh, and humiliation of the, of the children of Africa and transform that into shiny gadgets and cars that are hawked to consumers every day for profits that defy reckoning. Uh, that's not how you run an economy in the year 2023. That's a, a false economic order. That's a hypocritical economic order. And the only reason it's happening is because today, just like centuries before, the people in Africa don't count we don't listen to them we don't treat their humanity uh, this as equal to our own no one would send the children of cupertino into toxic pits and
0: trenches to scrounge for cobalt I so why so. why do we send the children of the congo to do well it? we uh, we can get into that you, you you've mentioned children a lot um what exactly is the situation with uh, what you call a in a newsweek piece um Uh, from earlier this year, children mining cobalt. What proportion of the miners are children? Are they paid? Why are they mining? So there are tens of thousands of children, as young as six, seven years old,
1: caked in toxic filth, digging for cobalt every day. That's quite apart from the thousands of infants, babies strapped to their mother's backs while they dig for cobalt. Now remember, cobalt's toxic to touch and breathe. So all these children, all these babies, quite apart from the adults, are being poisoned every day. So why are there children there? Because they don't have enough food to eat. They can't survive. There's nothing else for parents to do. When the mother and father only make a dollar or two a day, that's not enough to survive or keep children in school. So they bring children into the pits and trenches to try to earn another 50 cents or another dollar. And that might mean the difference between eating that day or not eating that day. Uh, there's also, to be fair, a failure on the part of the Congolese government to adequately support the public education system. Education is supposed to be free for Congolese children to the age of 18, but there's not enough money set aside for education, so schools have to charge fees, fees of 5 or $6 a month. And families can't afford the 5 or $6 a month. A month. So they bring children out to dig. Uh, so there's a host of reasons why there are children digging for cobalt, for our cobalt. It comes down to base survival, the need to eat, the need to have shelter and clothes, and a failure on the part of the Congolese government to make sure those children are in school, as opposed to digging out cobalt from the ground.
0: The book has, of course, been very well received. As I said, it's on the long list for the Financial Times Book of the Year. But Not everyone has given it a good review. I I read one piece in Open Democracy suggesting that your account is both, and I'm quoting, regressive and deeply flawed, that you don't acknowledge uh, the, 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 the Congolese, their agency in shaping their own futures. This piece suggests that these people aren't slaves. They, for one reason or other, choose to work these mines. How would you respond to that kind of argument?
1: That kind of argument sounds like an argument that's coming from someone who's being funded by the mining companies or tech companies. Uh, There's no one in the Congo that I ever met, and I've spent months on the ground, who wants to be digging in hazardous conditions for a dollar a day. They would much rather be earning a living safely, with a formal economy, with contracts, with protective equipment, masks, goggles, hats, so on. Uh, Just like you and I might expect if we were to become uh, miners uh, the people of the Congo are being chewed up by the global economy. Uh, there are bad actors at every level in the chain, to be sure, uh, but no one I've ever met uh, on the ground in the Congo. And I've spent time uh, speaking with hundreds of families, hundreds of families and parents who've lost their children in tons collapses. They don't want to be doing that work. It's just there's no alternative. There's no other way to survive. Uh, And that's the tragedy in all this, because it would be just a rounding error on the part of tech and EV companies uh, to fund the kinds of programs that would help bring safety, security and dignity to the bottom of their supply chains. But they refuse to accept responsibility uh, 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 for the people in the Congo who are digging their cobalt out of the ground.
0: I mean, if we had Elon Musk on the show, I'm sure he wouldn't come on and he would probably wouldn't be welcome. But. He might argue, well, I don't, I don't choose where I get my batteries. I can't control how the Chinese operate in Africa. I pay X for these batteries, or uh, uh, Tim Cook might say, say the same thing. He's a slightly more palatable fellow than uh, than Elon Musk. How could a, a Musk or, or a Cook, how could they change the situation, given that it's controlled by these local? Uh, Chinese mining companies.
1: Look, demand for cobalt starts at the top of the chain. We can we can agree on that. And so that's where the solutions have to start. And And quite frankly, I would just spin that proposition on its head and say, you have so much buying power. You have so much market power mm. that if you were to require certain conditions be maintained in your supply chain, and if not, you won't buy that supply of cobalt, you'll buy cobalt from another mining company that does maintain those standards and can do so verifiably, Uh, the power of their uh, buying force would change the nature of things. Uh, And it would simply take that kind of uh, statement, that kind of position for an Apple or a Tesla or a Samsung, these big, big buyers of cobalt to just say, hold on. We want an independent third party team on the ground, making sure that the conditions are dignified, safe and sustainable. Because, by the way, they all say in their public statements, in their SEC filings and their marketing statements, that they ensure that the human rights of every participant in their supply chains mm. are protected down to the mining level. They all say down to the mining level that mining is done sustainably and So they're making these claims. Do
0: they know they're lying? Well, I mean, presumably some of them have read your book, or at least they've heard about your book.
1: They either are recklessly ignorant of the reality at the bottom of their supply chains, or they're dealing in falsehood. It's one or the other. Um, And the fact of the matter is, if they wanted to actually do the things they're saying, protect the human rights of the Congolese people, ensure mining is done sustainably, ensure that all the participants in their supply chains enjoy the same human rights standards as people at corporate headquarters. If they wanted to do those things, they would have done them by now. So the fact that they haven't means they don't think the people in Africa are worth it, or they think the people in Africa are someone else's responsibility. And that's the That's the problem with the governance of our current global economic order. Everyone is pointing the finger at everyone else as being responsible for conditions at the bottom of their linked supply chain. And so when everyone's pointing their finger downstream, no, you're responsible, the wholesaler is responsible, the mining company is responsible, the battery company is responsible. Everyone's pointing their finger downstream until the last finger is pointed at the child caked and filth in the Congo. And no one's taking responsibility for that child. And if it were as simple as the people of the Congo rising up and enforcing their rights, it would have happened by now as well. But they live in a war-torn country with a lot of corruption, a lot of poverty, powerful forces uh, 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 arrayed against them. And so it's up to those powerful forces, especially the big companies at the top of the chain, to get their boots on the ground and say, hold on. This is our supply chain. We own it. We need to make sure it's working properly. And we're not leaving until we have assurances with spot checks and independent audits and, and, and all of the things that should be done and should have been done all this time. All those things have to be done each and every day of the year uh, so that in the year 2023, we're not running the global economy like the, the latest chapter in colonialism.
0: It's particularly ironic given, maybe not so much now, but two or three years ago, uh, a Western preoccupation with the nature of supposed slave economy in in China itself, which presumably is much less of a slave economy than uh, the one you find in Africa. What about changes within Congo? Are there any more enlightened companies or organizations who can help with creating a, a more a fairer, more humane ecosystem for paying miners properly and providing, uh, providing security and protection? The answer is yes. I, I want to take a moment, though, and I'm
1: glad you mentioned this issue about China because um, on a very bipartisan basis, without even a, a sneeze, a hiccup, or a moment's debate, the U.S. government, Republicans and Democrats enacted a law to prohibit the import of a single solar panel made in Xinjiang province because the presumption is it's made by the forced labor of Uyghurs. Mm. None of them have been there to actually see it. But there's been a lot of stories about it, a lot of research, a lot of testimonies from people there. And that was enough. So you can't make a solar panel in Xinjiang province and get it into the United States right now. That's exactly what needs to happen with every battery that has cobalt in, it.
0: and then things will change. Every battery with cobalt mined from Africa, from from Congo.
1: Well, seventy five percent of the cobalt's coming from the Congo.
0: W- where's the other twenty five percent coming from?
1: So if you look at uh, you look at a pie chart, uh, it's about three fourths Congo, and then there's three percent Morocco, three percent Russia, two percent Australia, three percent mm. Canada. There's a lot of other countries. Uh so the presumption should be that if it's a battery that has cobalt in it, that there's some share of Congo cobalt in that battery. Because cobalt, mostly coming from Congo, but also from Australia and other countries, is still refined in mainland China. And once you refine various batches of cobalt, you can't tell which part, which fractional part may have come from Canada or Australia. It It's refined cobalt at that point. So the presumption should be it's got child labor and forced labor and environmental destruction uh, uh, in it, if it's a battery with cobalt, and import ban. Well, I, I dare say the companies, Apple, Tesla, the rest of them, would probably start taking this issue more seriously. It shouldn't come to that. Uh, but if it needs to, then we need co- courageous political leadership. But to your question about are there organizations, there are people in the Congo. Um, who are trying to improve their lives? Civil society is very thin in the Congo. It's very difficult to actually um, uh, do anything that upsets the the order of things because you know the country's run by and large by kleptocrats uh, who have a lot of money at stake, um, and they don't tolerate dissent. And that's been the way of things since independence. So it's very hard for civil society. Uh, to be too critical of the government. It is very hard for these organizations to access foreign sources of funding. It's very hard for them to get their word out, their truth out, their voices out into the world um, uh, in any sort of sustained way. But there are people clamoring and advocating for the improvement of their own lives. And so we have to reach a helping hand into the Congo to help amplify their voices. And that's what I've tried to do with Cobalt Red, which is to just be a pass-through for the voices of the people on the ground so that they can reach the global audience and say, here's our truth. This is what's happening to us and this is how it touches your life. And then it's up to all of us to get activated and for a community of conscience to get activated and say, wait a minute, this is not acceptable or tolerable. This injustice has to be set right uh, and, and, and then do the things that need to be done to help the people on the ground in the Congo improve their lives.
0: Well, finally, a return to this issue of agency. Um, What about our agency? It's all very well waiting for Apple or, God forbid, Tesla to redo their policy. And we could be waiting forever. Should consumers, people watching this, uh, distraught by the situation there, readers of your book, should they simply be refusing to buy these products, go back to gasoline cars or... Ordinary phones? Well, I think we all have uh, personal choices to make.
1: Uh, for instance, it's been marketed to us for a decade now that we have to upgrade our gadgets every year. Uh, you know, the camera has another megapixel in it and
0: the, mm. the
1: tablet processors 8% faster. So keep up. And that creates a lot of demand side uh, and Apple
0: are about to release their annual phone with area exactly. next month.
1: So so maybe we don't need to upgrade our gadgets every year. Maybe we can make do for a little longer and alleviate some of that demand side pressure. When it comes to EVs, that's a different kind of choice. You know, you you if you want to transition from a gas powered car to an EV, that's a choice you make. Ideally, you have that car for many years. Uh, I think everyone has to think about it and think, do I... Buy this EV thinking I'm making a green choice, but now I know it comes at enormous human rights and environmental costs for the people in Africa. And maybe I wait on that choice until I can get reliable assurances, not puffery and marketing statements. And I think the last silliness I heard at the uh, Tesla shareholder meeting of a couple of months my- in, the- in front of the mine. And if anyone can, you let us know. Now, this, remember, I told you some time ago. These mines are as big as cities. So it's just silliness. It's just silliness. So they have to get on the ground and get serious about it. And then maybe consumers can think I'm making a genuinely enlightened green choice, not just for me and my people, but for them and those people, too.